Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We have got a great show today because we're going to dive into a topic that is probably right there at the top of the list of things you can talk about when it comes to bow hunting, and that's broadheads. And I have got a couple guys lined up to have a great conversation, starting with Mr. John Silks, who is our gear testing editor. John, uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. You know, John just finished up the uh, annual broadhead test that we do for the magazine and associate editor Mark Demko, who's our other guest, shouldn't even say guest, he's my co-host. We just don't often do episodes together. So we've got both of us here on the show today. And Mark, you helped to edit that broadhead test. And I'll tell you, you know, even after this was our 10th anniversary, you've only been with us for a couple of years. John and I have been through all 10 of these. I'm just kind of curious on your impression of this just a couple years in on the volume and the depth of the information that we bring. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I was pretty excited. I've been through one cycle of this. Last year, we did the um, the mechanicals, expandables, and this year we did uh, the fixed blades. And the first thing that jumped out at me was um, the rigorous battery of tests that you put these broadheads through and how you really focus on having um, uniformity and consistency in your testing as best you can, trying to remove as many variables as possible. Um, and, you know, I think that really um, uh, shows how seriously you take this. And, um, you know, if you're if you're like a, a lot of bow hunters may only shoot one or two different types of broadheads, but if you're looking for um, different options in your broadhead, this is a great starting point because of the depth of testing that you put these broadheads through. Oh, and he's serious. I mean, he was banging the table and I could hear him, John. So he was, he had conviction about the quality of the broadhead test. And, you know, as we go through this conversation today, I want to tease a little bit uh, of some of the results from the from this year's broadhead test, which is in our August issue, which we just sent to press. It'll be out in early July. But, um, you know, first I kind of wanted to just talk about John. Like, it's funny because earlier today, you know what I did is I got, uh, I had some new arrows from Easton. I took a dozen uh, FMJ shafts, 340 spine. They're 11 point something grains per inch. So they're good, heavy arrows. And I cut those down and I've got the, the inserts glued in and I'm getting ready to fletch them up over here. You can actually see the fletching jig uh, on the uh, bar behind me. I'm getting ready to fletch these arrows and these are gonna be the arrows that I take on our elk hunt in Montana. And I've already started to think, you know, I mean, here it's the first of June, second of June, something like that. And I'm thinking about September. I'm thinking about what I'm gonna shoot out there on that hunt. And I'm thinking about my broadhead already. And I'm sure you are too. And I'm sure Mark is for the hunts. Actually, he's going bear hunting in a couple weeks. So, I mean, we could probably start with him, but like, Broadhead selection is so critical, isn't it, John? I want to give Mark a chance to tell us what he's shooting for the bears. But, I mean, just when it comes to all your equipment, at the end of the day, there's only one thing killing the critter. And it's that little broadhead screwed onto the end of your arrow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Mark, did, did, were you going to share what you're using for bear? Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in. Keep going and then I'll jump in. But, uh, um, yeah. 
Yeah. So Christian, I mean, you know, for me, broadhead selection um, is is always a, a painstaking uh, process. I uh, I labor over, you know, uh, the data I look at. And honestly, you know, and I've told you this before, I don't pick my broadhead until we're done with our test that year. I mean, I wait to see what happens um, because it's, you know, it's rarely, you know, the same head that, you know, does better than other heads. It's always, you know, I mean, each year there's some, some variables, you know, that come in and whether you're talking about fixed or mechanical, of course, this year's fixed, but um, <clears throat> I don't count on anything until I see the data. And, uh, you know, I, I know, you know, people ask me during the test sometimes, you know, I'll be halfway through it and they'll be like, oh, which head's looking best? I, I couldn't even tell you at that point because I'm just collecting data. And if you've ever been through, you know, testing protocol and you're just collecting, 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 I'm not really paying attention to, oh, hey, this one looked a little better this time or that time. I wait until it's all done, get all the results together. And then whenever I'm ready to hit send to you, Christian, then I feel like I'm ready to look at the data and, and make some decisions. All right. So that's a good that's a good start for our tease because Let's just hit some of the things that we look at, and then I'm going to throw it over to Mark. You know, um, sharpness is one that comes to mind immediately. We do independent, like laboratory verified testing on broadhead sharpness. Nobody else does that. Um, penetration, another huge thing people are always concerned about when it comes to broadheads. You look at that in a couple different tests. Um, durability, man, with your the hard impact test and the zero penetration, the crash test, I call it, you know, where we just slam these things into solid rock. We shoot them through sheet metal. We test the durability of these things. Um, the, the hemorrhage test, right? You call it the blood bag test, John. How, how well do these broadheads do in terms of the holes they make and letting something bleed out? So there's a lot that we're gonna dive into but I'm kind of, you know, before we get into the hard data, because let's face it, I don't think either one of you are going to argue with me. We can present all the data in the world, all the quote unquote scientific evidence. There is an emotional, psychological aspect to broadhead selection and broadhead loyalty that goes beyond the data. We see it all the time when we talk to our fellow bow hunters. And so with that being said, without you know diving into any of the data yet, Mark, what is the most important thing to you when you're looking for a broadhead? Are you looking for something that's big and nasty and just looks like it's gonna kill something? Are you looking for something that's really aerodynamic and, and you wanna practice with it and you pick the one that flies the best? Are you looking for one that just like makes your eyeballs bleed just by looking at it because it's so sharp? I mean, what you know are the factors that you want and how do you weigh those against each other? You know, it's almost like we have to script it out because I was thinking as we're going through the conversation here, uh, I'm one of those guys for years, just because I was comfortable with it and familiar with it, I shot Muzzies. Great broadhead, um, one of the longest running broadhead companies. Um, but as we go through these tests and you, you hear about all these different innovations and technologies that are going into the broadheads, I'm actually going to be shooting um, uh, quality archeries, QADs, Exodus, when I go on this hunt. Um, when I'm looking for a broadhead, I like a compact design um 
try to get as much accuracy as possible out of it. But, but John, you mentioned a good point about having data and looking at the different test results and, and everything as you're going through the process. Um, the thing that the other thing that really stands out to me is it doesn't matter what you're looking for in a broadhead, whether you want that compact design, whether you want a much larger cutting surface or cutting diameter. Uh, and even if something uh, like replaceable blades is important to you, you're going to find it uh, in this um, group of broadheads that we've tested. But um, one of the things that stands out about this Exodus is the incredible, you know, tightness or compact design of this, the swept back blade angle. So this is what I'm going to be using on the bear hunt when I go up to Quebec in, oh, about eight or nine days. Well, then well I mean, the, the broadhead test should have a firm viewer selection because they did very well. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty pumped to use these. Well, one thing I was going to say is it actually dovetails nicely because you didn't have to choose a fixed blade head, Mark. You just so happened to pick that QAD, which was one of the heads in this year's test. And again, you know, as a teaser, um, I'm going to say one of the most durable heads in the test, John, right? I mean, we've got, we've got the slow motion video to prove it. Like it is almost impossible to destroy one of those Exodus broadheads and Lord knows you and Chad tried. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those, uh, you know, they, they, they know how to build a, a bunker for a broadhead there's no doubt about it um they are tough as nails uh, even when you shoot them into something you know like a field stone you know not that that's any indication of you know what you want to do when you're out in the field but uh it just gives you a little bit of an indicator as how tough they really are and you know you might ask mark what his most you know important um thing is we you know one of mine is it's not that they're not all important, but one of the ones that I look for is whenever we shoot through the triple combo. And if you can shoot through the triple combo and know that it can get through that, you know, thin uh, piece of metal and still penetrate, keep all its blades, that lets me know that if I hit, uh, you know, a little bit of bone or whatever, um, you know, and that, you know, that broadhead's going to continue to do its job. And then we can start to talk about other things, you know, like uh, sharpness and and, uh, you know, other, you know, how it tuned and things like that, how it flies. But, you know, I think if if a broadhead has trouble there, then then it's going to have trouble doing its job if you hit an elk rib or, or something like that. So that's always yeah. the ones I look at. So, John, just for the for the listeners, the viewers who, you know, haven't read our tests in the past, they they don't you know, have this year's issue, you talk about the triple combo, okay? There's two different penetration tests that we do uh, this year. One was the double combo penetration, and that's a piece of rubber-backed carpet on top of some foam plates. And then the triple combo penetration is the same rubber-backed carpet, and then behind that is a 0.03-inch sheet metal and then some foam behind that. So, you know, you guys have been refining that uh, over the years. And John, I'd like you to just address uh, the penetration tests, but also, you know, we've had many people over the decade that we've doing this or who are like, 
when you test penetration, why don't you just get some deer carcasses or a side of beef from the butcher shop? And you really should be shooting through animals and flesh and bone and testing this. And there's a good reason that we don't do that, even though it would be kind of fun and entertaining, the results might not really be exactly what we'd want to put our names on in bringing out to the public. Right. So anytime you have, um, uh, you know, a, a substrate, you know, a, a material that is uh, inconsistent, you can't, you know, I, one of the things that I strive to do in this test is to give everybody an equal, even field. So if I shoot through, say, shoulder blades, right? Well, I mean, you've processed enough deer, and I'm guessing Mark has too, and I know I have. Um, you know, that uh, that shoulder blade, you know, it really depends on where you hit it. You hit it out near the, you know, the flared edges, and it might penetrate easily. You get in there closer to that T-bone, and you're going to, you know, it's a whole different world, right? So you can't shoot 14 heads through um, a material that changes in thickness and has you know, essentially, a, um, you know, a structure in the middle of it that is almost impenetrable. So you really have to be able to come up with materials that are absolutely as consistent as you can get them. And, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time doing that in the field, right? So unless you can shoot a million shots uh, out of each, you know, each broadhead, a million shots through a million carcasses, you know, until you can start to get some maybe uh, data that actually means something, you have to rely on materials that are, um, you know, consistent. And so when somebody tells me, hey, use a shoulder blade or whatever, and, and the same thing goes for whenever you see people um, say, hey, do an angled test, you know, we want to see an angled test. So here's my thing with that. I can shoot an angled test out of 14 different broadheads and one might stand out, you know, beyond all the others or, um, you know, a couple, whatever. But unless you can prove to me, you'd have to have slow, slow motion, you know, high speed video and prove to me that the blade spacing or the incident, you know, the blade hitting the board is the same on each and every head. They have to be indexed exactly the same when they hit the board or it doesn't mean anything. So that's why we go through so much to make things even is because I'm not going to tell broadhead company D that, Hey, you know, you guys didn't do as well as a, but yet I can't tell them that they were subjected to the exact same parameters. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just, just, that's just, you know, I don't want to spend all of our time, right, diving into the weeds like that, but that's just a little window into John's mind. And when he and Chad Smith, who is our test specialist, John's right-hand man, when John and Chad, you know, come up with a concept for a test, whether it's this broadhead test or any other product testing that we do throughout the year, they're not going to do something that first and foremost isn't fair to everyone who's involved. Second of all, isn't repeatable and consistent. And, and third, doesn't produce results that are reliable, that they're comfortable putting their names on, that we as the editors are comfortable, you know, associating with Peterson's bow hunting, and that we are personally, you know, you heard John say it, he literally uses the data from this test to make a choice about what gets screwed on the end of his arrow 
for you know his hunts and that's the point of putting it out to all of you is we want you to feel confident about doing the same thing and you know another thing i think we should touch on here which is an interesting um question that we get a lot too john i'm sure you get it the most is who won who won the broadhead test and you'll notice when you get the magazine you've noticed maybe in past years when you get this year's august issue we do not declare a quote unquote winner because we provide a wealth of data in a number of categories and while there certainly are some heads that show you know very well in particular areas and, and again we'll get into some of that to declare an overall winner is really hard because even with that data on some levels it's subjective and on another level simple science and design tells us john that there's trade-offs so when you look at something like total cutting potential you know john calculates the total cutting potential of every head in the test so this year we had 14 heads it's basically measuring all the blade surface area on each head and totaling it up to how many inches of of cutting blade exists there and, and as John always likes to say, it's potential because that's assuming all those blades stay intact all the way through the animal. But the point being, you'll notice when you look at our results, some of the broadheads with the greatest total cutting potential lag a little bit in some of the penetration. Well, that doesn't mean that that broadhead isn't as good as another broadhead that penetrated deeper. It just means it literally has more blade surface area, which is creating friction as it's going into the target and it's absorb, it's soaking the energy out of that arrow more quickly than say you could shoot a field point, which isn't gonna cut anything and that's gonna penetrate more than all the broadheads. Well, does that mean we ought to screw field points on our arrows and go hunting? Absolutely not. So that's why to declare a, an overall winner it, when you have all these trade-offs, it's ultimately up to you as a bow hunter to look at the data, think about what you're going to be hunting, where you're going to be hunting it, and then what broadhead makes the most sense for you. Um, you know, is that about sum it up uh, the way you'd say, John? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's that's absolutely the truth, and and I go through that same process. You know, what's important to me? What am I going to be hunting? And you know, you're going to be hunting. Uh, you know, small deer, you're going to be hunting big elk, you're going to be hunting, you know, whatever it is. And, and you know, what's important to you, uh, you know, like I said, you know, there's certain tests that are more important to me as, as a leader than other tests, but then those other tests do matter once you, once you have, if every test makes it through my first gate, then I start to look at number two, number three, number four, until I, you know, until I get to the one that, that, um, you know, seems to just match my needs. And I got to tell you, you know, there's sometimes that, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I'm like, oh, I'll bet this broadhead's going to be, you know, pretty good. And I get to the end of my selection and go, huh, I'm not taking that one this year, um, you know, because it just didn't do what I needed it to do. So, uh, you know, I would suggest everybody have an open mind. I know that, you know, there's brand loyalty and things like that, but, um, you know, sometimes there's there's heads that uh, may not be as advertised as heavy or whatever that do just absolutely fantastic. Um, of course, sometimes they don't, but that's why you that's why we do the test. 
Yeah, Mark, you know what I think? We got to throw something out to the listeners here. We got to throw a little nugget for sticking with us this long. As he was talking about ones that aren't advertised as much, but they do really well. There was a broadhead that popped into my mind. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say to me, it was the surprise of this year's test. And maybe that's not really fair to them because it's maybe just my bad for having no awareness of this company prior to the test. But there was a head in this year's test, again, 14 fixed blade models, right? 14 different makes and models that really did well in a number of categories. And I was, I'm at the point where I actually would like to try them. Uh, and that's the Annihilator. Um, don't you think the Annihilator looked good in the testing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that that all steel construction and it ranked pretty highly in a lot of the different tests. And it was a, be the first one I would have said as well. So um, I was impressed by that and look forward to trying it at some point down the road, at least on one of the hunts or just testing it out on the range or whatever. Yeah. John, where did that? I mean, I know that I worked with, you know, you guys and, and, and uh, some other folks on our team to get the list together. But I mean, I'm sure it wasn't my suggestion, because like I said, I'm not sure I ever heard of Annihilator Broadheads before you did the test this year. Like, did you know anything about this going in and, and were you impressed with Annihilator? Yeah, I did. I did not know um, uh, anything about them going in. I had no expectations one way or the other. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they did pretty well, as you know, I'm not going to tell exactly where they, they scored the highest, but they did, they did pretty well in, in a couple areas. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, the next thing, so that's one for people to check out. So yeah, everybody who's listening right now is probably like banging on their keyboard or their phone and they just went to the Annihilator website. So I wish we had some kind of a commission code because we might have just sold a whole bunch of broadheads for those guys. And I assure you it wasn't because, you know, uh, we've got some kind of a deal. It, it literally, and that, you know, and again, to stress, like we do this testing, like John said, he doesn't go in with preconceived notions. You know, we do the testing and where it falls is where it falls. And if you, if you come out of it looking good, hey, we're not afraid to say that's the truth. You know, whether it's somebody we've never heard of or somebody that we've been shooting for 20 years, you know what I mean? Because um, there are a lot of good heads out there. And, you know, something about broadheads, it's like, Everybody with a good idea seems to want to make a, make a broadhead. So there's never any shortage of new heads, which keeps John employed because these guys are always coming up with new ones. So every other year as we flop back and forth between the mechanicals and the fixed blades, there's always a bunch of new stuff to, to test. And speaking of fixed blades versus mechanicals, that was the first question I wanted to ask you, Mark, when you said you were going with the QAD, because that's usually the first question that everybody asks, right? When, okay, so you got to pick a broadhead for your hunt. First question, right, before you narrow it down, fixed blade or mechanical? And then you dive in from there. So Mark, why the fixed blade for your bear hunt? Because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like throw it out there. I would be shooting a mechanical on that bear hunt, but it doesn't mean that your choice is wrong by any means. So why fixed blade, Ed? So I've always uh, really appreciated fixed blades, um, uh, you know, from the uh, um, perspective of cut on contact. And, you know, I'm looking forward to trying these because of the streamlined profile. And, you know, one of those things that uh, you hear all the time are, you know, um, the uh, mechanicals, expandables, they, they fly uh, more like a field point. 
but I don't want to jump the gun on this, but there's a very, uh, when you see the article in the magazine, uh, there's a very surprising result. And at least to me, it was, is how accurate these heads really are. You're talking of, you know, when you, um, you look at that bullseye, all of these broadheads, all 14 that we tested, I don't think any of them were um, further than maybe uh, a half an inch, a little more off center. So, uh, you know, a lot of times people think, well, mechanicals are, are really dead on accurate, but fixed plates today are as well. There's really been an evolution and a lot of great technology that's gone into these. And so I'm very comfortable shooting a fixed blade. Oh, yeah. Seven tenths, I think, was the, the biggest variation. So, so we shot. Go ahead, John. I was going to say, and that's, that's not uh, tuning for each one. That's tuning the bow, getting good flight, and all 14 heads hit within seven tenths out of using one arrow and one one tune. So, you know, that that just lets you know that it's possible. These things will fly well for you if you take the time, tune your bow, uh, and get, you know, get your broadhead tuned up and and uh, you know, make sure you have consistency across all of your arrows and consistency with the the, you know, the way that the broadheads are spinning and, and all that and make sure that, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if you have decent form, consistent form, um, uh, and then all those other variables are in place, you're going to shoot these heads well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, we should be remiss if we didn't all sort of just throw the obligatory practice, practice, practice with your broadheads with the heads that you're going to hunt with whatever you choose right because again at the end of the day there's no wrong answer any broadhead out there under the right conditions with the right shot is going to kill the animal so um but you've got to practice you've got to be ready to make that shot and not just coming off your backyard saying hey my field points are flying great so i screwed my broadheads on and climbed into the tree or i hit the mountain please don't do that practice with the heads that you're gonna hunt with so Okay, back to fixed blade versus mechanical and why I just like, I like, I, and I've hunted bears with both, Mark. I, I think the last bear that I did kill, I killed with uh, wasp jackhammers because uh, I was up in New Brunswick with Mike Stroff and um, a couple of the guys from, from wasp archery, and it worked perfect. I don't think the bear that I shot went 30 yards, but bears are sort of notoriously thin-skinned they're not black bears aren't that tough and and they're not that hard to kill either which is really weird because you'd think bears would be really tough black bears die fast if you hit them halfway decent and they're really susceptible to um probably i don't know if i'd recommend this for a lot of hunts but rage makes a head called the extreme the rage extreme i think it's like almost two and a half inches of cutting diameter. I shot a bear with one of those one time. And like, I don't think that it didn't even make it out of the clearing. It's a really good head for like a black bear, but that's an opinion, you know, because there's, a, there's, there's for every million guys who love the rage, there's a million guys who would tell me I'd never shoot one of those if it was the last broadhead. And that's where the whole, you know, emotion and subjectivity and brand loyalty comes into play. So I don't, or I try not to argue with people about, it's like, hey, if you have a head you like, and that's working for you, then by all means, buddy, you just stick right with that. Confidence is a big part of the game. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, so once you've chosen, you know, fixed blade or mechanical, at that point you're looking for a particular make and model. And so, 
you know, for this conversation, we'll, we'll probably stick with fixed plate heads because I want to highlight some of the some of the models that we had in this year's test. But all these same principles could apply to mechanicals, you know, in terms of um, your your evaluation. Obviously, with the one caveat, fixed blade heads don't have movable blades that need to deploy on impact. So you can take that out of the equation. And that's probably the biggest argument in favor of fixed blade heads, right? Is you don't have to worry about deployment. That thing is going to cut whatever it hits. Hey, Christian, one, one thing I also like to say, because, you know, I, I'm sure there's lots and lots of bow hunters out there um, that are going to listen to this, but there's probably going to be some manufacturers listening to this as well. And, you know, I don't know how you look at it, but I've always, you know, I, I, I believe that every manufacturer is out there just trying to make the absolute best head, right? They want to make the best head that they can make. And I look at our testing as being, you know, we're partnering with them um, as we will, sometimes our testing will show opportunities for improvement. So I hope that that's how the manufacturers look at our test, you know, like, hey, you know, we're doing this right, we're doing this right. You know, when you look at us versus the other 14 heads, yeah, we're a little back on this one, you know, and hopefully they use it, uh, you know, as as a tool, right, to, to you know, for, uh, you know, design, design and manufacture. Well, that's a good point. And, you know, one thing that people will notice again, when you look at the article, you pick up the magazine, there are some things like total cutting potential, um, you know, other physical measurements where you're going to see all the data for all 14 heads. There's other areas, you know, whether it's penetration or, um, you know, hemorrhage or things like that, where we're just giving you the top 10, okay? And it's not because we're not trying to hide data from people. Our readers are smart. You can look at the list of the 14 heads in the test, and you can figure out for yourself who finished 11 through 14. But the point is... you. Again, you can you can figure it out. Those were the bottom of our group. And we're not here to John's point. We want to bring information to our readers. We want to highlight, you know, who's excelling in a given area. And while you can certainly see who who lagged, we're not here to specifically call people out and say, you know, you didn't measure up here or there. OK, that's that's not the point of the test. And you're not going to be probably looking, you know, if you're looking for something that's really good on penetration and that's the most important category for you or something that's really, really sharp, if something's at the bottom of the list, you're probably not going to consider it anyway. So you're probably focusing your attention on those top three or five options within a given category anyhow. What do you think about that, Mark? You know, absolutely. I think, you know, um, when you do this test and when you look at the results, I see it as more of, you know, if, if somebody's coming in, the reader of the magazine or they're listening to the podcast, you use this as a resource to help make educated decisions, especially, like you said, if, if you're looking or you want to explore new options as far as broadheads are concerned. And so um, a couple of broadheads may excel, be really highly ranked in a couple tests, but maybe not do as well in other tests. But then you look at all the all the data, you look, you factor in the accuracy. And if you're really looking to make that switch and try something new, um, then you're gonna put that all together, uh, sort of like building a puzzle, and then you're gonna come up with a complete picture. At least that's the way I look at that. Yeah, and the thing is, John, with a few exceptions, you know, there's a few exceptions to the good and a few exceptions to the bad. And what I mean by that is there's, a, there's two or three heads 
that I think had like several top five finishes across the board. There's a couple of heads that maybe didn't have any top five finishes. But for the most part, if you take that group of 14 heads as a whole, everybody did well in an area or two. And so if they lagged in an area or two, they did well in an area or two, and it kind of evens out. And it would be really hard to take the middle of that group and, and separate them by a wide margin. You know, that's my feeling anyway. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And there's more than, you know, there are other aspects of the test that we don't rank either, right? So the XY data, we don't rank that. So you got to take that into consideration. Are you worried about, you know, are you going to hunt an animal that has a, you know, just a heavy bone structure? You're going to want to look at, um, you know, you're going to want to look at how it did in the, you know, the hard impact test and that kind of thing. So, you know, there's that data, but there's also other data as well that, you know, you should be considering. So when you do it, I, I agree with what Mark said. It's like putting in a puzzle together. You have a lot of data in front of you. Now you just need to pick your way through and put, you know, find the combination that seems to work best for you. Yeah. So I'm going to throw out another another nugget now because we got to keep people interested you know because neither none of the three of us are very good looking i don't know that we have you know melodious voices so hopefully if we just keep just keep giving away a little secret here and there you know we keep everybody with us but i'm going to reveal my my choice for our elk hunt john because this was a head um that did pretty well in a number of categories, but it ranked number one in a particular category that's important to me, and that's sharpness. So this was, and, and before I reveal this, I actually want to give a little background on how we test sharpness. You know, to me, this is still really cool. So John and Chad pride themselves on being able to do a lot of testing in-house, and they really are good. You know, John's got an engineering background. Chad has a contracting construction background, machining background. So between the two of them, you know, there's a lot of things that they can do and they build custom fixtures, but sometimes there's just an expert out there who's better suited to test. And, and John, you found years ago uh, a, the CATRA, the Cutlery and Allied Trades Research Association over in the United Kingdom. And they actually have a machine called the Razor Edge Sharpness Test Machine where they can vice the blades from these broadheads in and there's a machine that pushes them forward into a rubber test strip and it measures the amount of force that's required to, to cut the rubber. And obviously the less force that's required, the sharper the blade. And so we've been using Catra for a number of years and I love it, not only because of how good the data is, but I really just feel, I mean, I'm gonna brag on ourselves for a second here. This sets Peterson's bow hunting apart. There's not another organization, you know, whether it's a manufacturer or a media outlet in the hunting community that has data like that when it comes to sharpness of broadheads like and it, it's like so nice to actually be able to say in the magazine you know this is independent laboratory results that we commission you know we pay for and nobody can question that you know i love it yeah yeah that's uh we've been doing that actually christmas since the very beginning now at the beginning we actually rented the machine and had it shipped here from the UK, and we did the testing, but quickly uh, learned that, you know, all the shipping back and forth and the fact that, you know, they have all the expertise, it was just 
so much easier to send them the blade and and you know uh, let them do it because they were you know they are the professionals and I, I I love that too. I love that we get that data from them. Um, I think it really uh, you know just boosts our overall test. Yeah. So um, so anyway, the sharpest test or the sharpest head in this year's test. So fourteen heads, numero uno for sharpness. And it was a head that I never gave a second thought to before. Now, it's a muzzy, okay? It's a muzzy head, so there's no no surprise. Like, okay, a muzzy, everybody knows muzzy. We talked about them a little bit earlier, but it's the muzzy Merc. It's a new head from muzzy. I've shot a variety of muzzies on different hunts over the years, but this muzzy Merc looks really cool. It's got a solid steel ferrule and then three... I think they're stainless blades, right, John? Um, that basically align up with this ferrule. So it's got a cut on contact design, cut on contact tip, and then that ferrule just melds seamlessly into those replaceable blades. And I think that if I can just make a good shot, that thing is gonna be bad medicine on a big bull out in Montana this September. Hey, I you saw what that little uh, muzzy curl car did to my bull in 2019. <laughs> oh, and mine too. Yeah, I shot mine with the trail car. Oh, you did? So, okay. Yeah, yep. So, I mean, muzzy was good to us in 2019. And so I figured let's keep it in the muzzy family. Let's give the Merc a shot, quite literally. And, you know, as far as I can recall off the top of my head, it was pretty solid on the durability, the penetration, the hemorrhage, I didn't see any area where I was like, man, this thing is a dog. I'm worried about it. I'm like, no, this is a solid head. I'm gonna put these things on the end of my arrows and I'm gonna get out there in Montana and give it my best. I'm, lo I'm looking at all the results for that head. It did well. Yeah, it absolutely did. I mean, it gave, it gave you know, some of the others, it was right up there in that in that if you were going to try, and like I said, we're not going to try, but people will, right? People will get the magazine and they'll flip through all the charts and they'll they'll be doing this and they'll be looking at their favorite, where did my favorite brand, you know, and, and yeah, if you were trying to get winners or at least a sort of a starting five, so to speak, uh, that, that might be competing to make the lineup there for sure. So, so Mark, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you and... I kind of said sharpness, okay, that, that's important to me. Now, like John said, they're all important. It's gotta penetrate. If it doesn't penetrate, it can't use those sharp blades to cut anything, right? It's gotta get through the tissue to cut it. It's gotta fly accurately to get there. It's gotta make a big enough hole for the, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you had to pick one, not the QAD, which we know you're already, you know, something that stood out to you from this test where you're like, man, maybe I'll, and we, we already talked about the Annihilator, so I guess I'm forcing you to go to maybe a third choice, but what, give me something, give the listeners something. As I was looking at that, we talked about a couple that were really intriguing to me. That Annihilator really jumped out, um, but uh, Cobra makes uh, the Barbarian um, and they make blades specifically, it's worth mentioning as far as what we're talking mostly about hunting with compounds, uh, but also for crossbows. But, uh, um, you know, they have that with a one and a quarter inch uh, diameter cutting surface um, and the uh, um, really sharp blades. And so that was something that was in intriguing to me um, as far as giving a whirl. 
so you're talking about their their specific crossbow version? Yeah, well, no, either one, but that, I just wanted to point out that they also make their, their broadheads specifically for crossbows, so it's not like they've taken an adaptation of maybe a compound um, broadhead and then adapted. So it's, uh, their broadheads, um, and, and I was talking to them recently, um, some of their, their first broadheads they came out with were ones that were manufactured specifically for crossbows. And I thought that was worth mentioning, obviously, because obviously there, there's some of the people that might listen to the podcast might might hunt with a crossbow or they might flip back and forth between hunting with a compound and a crossbow. But no, the, the Barbarian, the uh, FXT, and um, I think that did pretty well in some of the testing. And so uh, that was another one that was on my hit list. Yeah, and it's worth noting, not only for that one, there were several of the heads, maybe maybe close to half of them that might be available in crossbow specific versions and manufacturers are doing that more and more. And of course, crossbow hunting is getting more and more popular all the time. I think it was you, Mark. John, did you know this? I think Mark sent me an email. Travis Law from the Game Commission here in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. said that, was it 21, Mark? 2021? 2020 was the last year they had results. Okay, 2020. Travis said 68% of all the archery deer harvested in Pennsylvania were crossbow deer. So wow. it, that means only 32%, a third, only one out of three deer is now being killed during archery season with vertical archery equipment versus crossbows. That blew me away. Blew me away. That's amazing. I would have never guessed that. I know that it's climbed steadily over the years. Uh, even back in like 2015, uh, crossbows were already um, uh, being used for more of the deer harvest and compounds. But I, I had no idea that it's approaching 70% now. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it was fascinating to me. We, we know that uh, the use of crossbows has expanded greatly. But uh, uh, that's why I wanted to mention about if, if you're looking uh, at, at these tests and you know a lot of these companies will also make um, broadheads specifically for, for crossbows too. So crossbow specific broadheads, but yeah, that statistic was incredible when I heard that, uh, from Travis. I was like, wow, I would, I would have said maybe high fifties, 60, maybe even low sixties. You're talking about approaching 70% of the harvest and, and Pennsylvania is a state where, where you take a substantial amount of deer, even, um, during the archery season. I, yeah. I would never guess that high, Mark. I had no clue. I thought it'd be more like 40%. Yeah. That's another I thought it would have been almost flipped. It's another episode that we've got to do, actually, because, I mean, it'd be a real rabbit trail on this show. But, yeah, I know, you know, Mark and I, um, our company puts out a, a once a year crossbow magazine called Crossbow Revolution, which Mark and I put together uh, in addition to our work with Peterson's Bowhunting. And we had had an article in there. I mean, I was aware that there are several states that are big whitetail states, Ohio, Wisconsin, um, where crossbow hunters now take more deer than vertical bow hunters. But I didn't realize Pennsylvania was among those states. And I certainly didn't realize that crossbow had that big of a margin over the vertical bow because no. I've only ever killed one deer here in Pennsylvania with a crossbow. And I've killed, I don't know how many dozen, you know, with the compound. So how about now with that? All deer harvested all year, or is that just in archery season? Uh, I specifically asked about the archery harvest. Okay. Yeah, I, because, you know, it's you, you want to make sure because, you know, some people may use it during, say, not to go off topic, but during the firearm season. So you want to make that uh, yep. distinction. 
And, and it's funny, I have one other nugget there since we're talking about nuggets. Uh, the same thing, I was uh, in contact with uh, Kentucky Fish and Game, and they have um, that incredible elk resource down there with a, a herd of about 10,000, and they give out a limited number of tags every year. 75% of the elk taken in archery season are taken by crossbow. Wow. Yeah, I would have never guessed. Yeah, it's a really good topic for another another show. And since you guys commented, I'm going to do a quick tease. Right. A lot of people who are, let's call them the vertical bow hunting purists. OK, these are the folks who who believe that, you know, anybody who hunts with a crossbow is not not an actual archery hunter. And, um, you know, everybody who who wants to hunt archery should hunt with a vertical bow. Um, again, really interesting discussion to have. If you look at you know, people are going to do what they want to do if they're able. Right. Assuming it's legal. There's not a law that says anybody has to hunt with a crossbow. So then the question is, and this is just be a fascinating topic for another show. If, if, if you think that vertical bow hunting is so much better, why aren't we as a vertical bow hunting community doing a better job of spreading that gospel? Then we got all these people out there picking up crossbows and what's the reason for that? You know what I mean? It's like, again, a great, great discussion, you know, because it's clearly happened you know it's not even happening it's happened and now like where are we going from here crazy but back to broadheads i'm gonna put you on the spot it's 10 till and i promised you john that we wouldn't take more than an hour from your real job that pays your bills and feeds your family and all that good stuff we're not good here at peterson's bow hunting for much more than a little bit of grocery money and maybe a hunt or two here and there um so I'm going to put you on the spot, man. Tell me about your analysis and what did you choose? What are you going to screw on the end of the arrow this year? I think it's funny that you're asking me that because I have absolutely refused every other time you've ever asked me to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not done with my analysis yet. I'm going to just say that I'm still working on it. Actually, that's bull. That's bull. That's thing. bull. You're holding out. You're not just holding out on me. You're not just holding out on Mark. You're holding out on all our audience. Come on. Hey, I have the, uh, you know, I've got my own setup that just showed up. So now I'm starting to take my top three or four and put them on there and, and see it, you know, see how they are going to react with my form and my shooting stuff. All right. Well, just give at least do this. Do you, you literally, do you have a top, do you have a handful that are your most serious uh, consideration at this point? Can you give somebody something? <laughs> well, I can say that I was looking at the Merc like you were, um, and I definitely uh, have a QAD on one of the arrows. Um, I have a uh, uh, slick trick on one, and I have a a G5 on one and the Annihilator. So those are probably the ones, I, I think there's another one that I've been, I've screwed on my FMJs and I've been shooting, but those are the ones I'm playing around with right now. Well, I'm glad you mentioned those because actually they, they deserve a little bit of love and we didn't give them any yet. So let's do that quickly. Slick, slick. I Go forgot ahead. one, forgot one. And this oh. is the one, this is one that everybody, you know, seems to overlook. But they've done so well over the years, no matter if we're doing 
uh, fixed or mechanical. They're consistent performers, and that's interlock. And I, people need to wake up to the fact that interlock makes some good broadheads, and I have them on one of my arrows as well. The interlock American Eagle, right? That was this year's. Yeah, it was. It was a good head. It really was. And that, I mean, and guys, this is what I'm saying. Like, there's lots of good choices. There's not like a wrong answer. Um, and you mentioned another one. Okay, so interlock, yeah, nice, nice head. Especially, okay, I, I remember, you know, what that one looks like. That's a pretty compact design. If you're looking for something compact, I bet you, you know, I'm just going to say I bet because you're a big data guy, John. I don't have the data to back it up. I would bet that that interlock is a pretty good choice if you're heading out west and you want to shoot a fixed plate head at some longer range. I bet you I bet you that one would, would do pretty well. And you meant the one that you mentioned that I, I'm glad you brought up because it's a brand new head from a company that's pretty well known, which is Slick Trick, is that SS3. And does that SS, does that stand for stainless steel, John? It must, right? Yeah. So, and the three is blade. So it's an SS3 stainless steel, three blade. It's a solid piece of stainless steel machined, right? All one, one solid hunk of metal. And then that's coated with a black oxide. Similar actually, looks kind of similar if you held them both in your hand to that Annihilator head and similar to that Annihilator as well. That solid piece of stainless steel, man, well, that is, that's a durable design. And the Tooth of the Arrow who really started that whole look. And, you know, they, they also uh, have that same build, if you will. Gotcha. Well, you know what the great thing about all industries, but... I'm familiar with the archery and bow hunting industries. If you have a good idea, I can guarantee you will be copied more than once. <laughs> <laughs> they, they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and we have that down to a science here within the hunting community. Yep. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good heads to pick from this year. There's no doubt about it. Well, that was John's best attempt to give a non-answer. Um, I guess when you're the guy who conducts the testing, you you are a little bit sensitive about giving the appearance that you might favor one head over another. But, uh, you know, like, like you said, there's lots of good choices in there. And uh, hopefully, if you stayed with us this long, you've made a little mental note uh, to get out there. Uh, first week of July... To your favorite newsstand or better yet get on bowhuntingmag.com and subscribe or download our app and get the digital version of the issue and dive in to our 2022 fixed blade broadhead test mark parting thoughts from you you know um i'm actually gonna ask a question um you, you know we talked at the beginning how i've only been through one cycle of the broadhead test you two gentlemen have been doing this a number of years. And so I want to know from you before we go, what's the most surprising thing you've seen as far as developments or changes over the past uh, few years? Have you gone through this testing process? Because you've looked at a lot of data, you've tweaked some of the tests. And again, you've been doing this for, you know, it's a 10th anniversary. So I was just curious, what have you seen? John, you would take that one first, because I have a funny to end on. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. We've seen, we've seen a lot of things. We've actually, uh, 
done some testing even on the you know somebody creating a crazy broadhead and we'll throw that one on um you know just on the side to see what it did and we almost shot mark uh 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 Koffold's, uh uh, trailer down there left blank starches fly one year because the broadhead was so bad but uh <laughs> um we've seen some crazy stuff we've actually had uh broadheads hit the metal and not only not penetrate or not even penetrate partially but actually hit the metal and came all the way back you know to where we were shooting that out of the machine so we've seen some pretty crazy stuff but what I would say is, you know, there, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of people like, you know, playing around with aerodynamics, right? So you see a lot of scooped ferrules and scooped, uh, you know, you know, different uh, faceted blade uh, surfaces and and just all kinds of different, uh, um, you know, ideas on how to get the best flight. And I, you know, I appreciate that. I, I like to see people, uh, well, people that being manufacturers, just uh, looking for that next advantage that you know will inevitably come. I mean, you you know, broadheads are fairly simple, um, but at the same time, you know, you do see that you know we're we're expanding um, you know the research every year, and these heads, you know, we drive that for the, these these companies, right? We uh, we go out and we buy their broadheads. That gives them money, then and then money. Some of these uh, companies uh, take pride in using some of that money to do more research, and I, I think that's what you know inevitably pushes the, the, you know the the product forward. Well, that's no doubt about that. What I was going to say is the most surprising thing is, um, kind of you touched on it, John, but the the most surprising thing is just how how bad a few of these broadheads have been over the years. And, you know, thank God it's very much the exception, not the rule. But there have been a handful of heads, um, you know, over the years and, and even including some of these more recent years where it's like, I don't even know why they would put those in a package and send them out. Um, <laughs> They, they don't they don't really seem to to deliver on the promise, you know, and, and, and so that's, you know, that's not a bad spot to end because, again, we're not I'm not calling anybody out. You know, that's that's not what we're about. But but the broadhead is an important choice. Right. So choose wisely. Look for the look for the qualities that are important to you. Um, look at the data that we provide to sort of affirm you know, your own testing and evaluation that you might do, you know, on the range just by picking up a couple packs of heads that, you know, are contenders for you. And and if it looks good, right, if it looks good to you and it looked good to us in our testing, then go with it. And on the other side of that coin, right, if it looks kind of sketchy to you, if it looks sketchy on the shelf, if it feels sketchy in your hand, you know, if it was kind of sketchy, you know, in our data, then maybe maybe there's another option out there that that would be better suited, you know, for you. But uh, yeah, like I said, thank thank goodness that honestly, I would say 90 percent or more of all the heads we've tested over all these 10 years while, you know, 
not all of that 90% might be at the very top of my list, John. I'm pretty confident that if I just would make a good shot, that 90% or more of all those broadheads would have killed the animal and, and we'd have had a happy ending to the hunt. I would put that more like 95, 96%, honestly. I mean, we've only had a couple, you know, like the one that came out of the pack and the feral was obviously made to shoot around corners. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, that's so few and far between. We don't see that kind of stuff often. But, uh, you know, you know, it's good that we that we find it, though, right? And like I said, I, I don't look at that as, you know, I don't want to hammer the manufacturer. I believe they want to make a good head, and they should take the data that we have and use it to make a better product next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so with that being said, uh, once again, shameless self-promotion. Make sure to check out our... 2022. Oh, and I forgot, we didn't really talk about the high-speed video, John. We've got video clips of all these heads hitting the rock and going through the sheet metal. And we've got hemorrhage test video showing how the much elapsed time it took for each head to drain uh, two gallons of simulated blood out of a bag. And so um, there's more for you to check out on our YouTube channel as well. Um, now here as we sit today, I don't have that quite up yet, but all that stuff will be loaded up by the time the August issue hits newsstands the first week of July. So uh, make sure to check that out too. And we've got a promo in the article uh, as well, directing people there. So that stuff is always fun. And this year, you know, we did a few other fun things, John, just for social media. We shot eggs and tomatoes and we blew out candles and we even shot the top off of a beer bottle. Hey, Chad wanted me to remind you that he's the one to put the candle out. <laughs> <laughs> he was, Chad and I had a contest to see who could extinguish a candle first by shooting it and Chad got it. So kudos to him. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. It's uh, Broadheads is always a great topic. And I, I think that was a pretty interesting discussion today. I hope people enjoyed it. And um, until next time, uh, get out there and shoot your bows. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.